We continue uh, coming to the Lord this morning as we hear His Word from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 17. I invite you to stand for the reading of the Gospel. Reading begins in the first verse. And after six days, Jesus took with Him Peter, James, and John, His brother, and led them up a mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared in them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And he was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. A voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks. You may be seated. We'll continue hearing from the gospel of John and a sermon this morning, so we'll listen to it then. I want to begin uh, exploring this person of interest this morning by telling you this story, a a story that happened with a neighborhood acquaintance. Uh, Their son tragically was ejected from the uh, car in a terrible accident near our neighborhood. And so we began praying for this teen boy, and uh, one particular day I went to their home in the neighborhood and touched base with the dad and told him we were praying and he shared these prayers are most definitely uh, making an impact. He said, I know for sure that God will bring about healing as my son continues to suffer with uh, some swelling in his brain that we knew that the healing would be long and possibly with suffering, but the father had hope and confidence. And I asked him uh, after such a a horrific accident and tragedy how he had so much hope and confidence in the prayers that we had been saying for his son. He said, because on the day of the accident, the doctor had shared with him uh, some of the, and went through many of the injuries his son had suffered, including... uh, shattered bones in his arm and showed him the x-ray of all the different shattered pieces of his arm. And when the orthopedic specialist came in sometime later uh, to after the uh, most urgent emergency needs were covered, began to deal with that broken arm, or I should say multiple breaks in his uh, bones in both parts of his arm, they didn't extra x-ray and prayers were answered because miraculously in just a few days every break in that arm was no longer 
there. The father saw with his own eyes the comparison between the two x-rays and the healing that his son had begun to receive through answered prayer. And sure enough, though the journey would be long, God would bring about healing in that family. Now all these years later, I occasionally see Facebook posts from that household. Members sometimes whose posts have left you to wonder if they still have faith. Not that you can probably really tell that from Facebook, right? But it left me to wonder. And you might think, how can that be? Hasn't this family experienced firsthand with their own eyes? with tangible evidence, the work of Jesus in their life, and they did, of healing. And yet, the disciples did too, didn't they? And yet, they still doubted. Reminds me of a New Testament scholar who said about the text that we've already read for today from the Transfiguration, that not just to focus on the shiny things, great irony in the Sunday of Transfiguration, right? The light shining, but to focus on the word that was heard. You see, it's not that uh, the historic reality isn't crucial, just as it wasn't crucial that, uh, it, it was crucial that that son's arm was healed. But what's crucial is what they found in hearing the voice of God. I find it fascinating, for example, that the Apostle Peter will describe the impact of this event that it had on his life and faith in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16 and following. He says this, For when we received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice of was born to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we were with him on the holy mountain. As he reflects on that and continues to do so in that chapter in 2 Peter, we realize that the impact, as he'll write, the lamp shining in the darkness dawns, knowing that the prophecy of Scripture, as he writes, had come from someone else. It wasn't human interpretation. It was from God. And it was that powerful voice of the Lord that he points us to. And so together, we will investigate throughout these Weeks ahead, a person of interest, Jesus, by examining his own words, as we will in just a moment, sometimes referred to as the I am statements of Jesus. As we join on this search and see what it reveals about him and about us, we'll, I think, be transformed once again by that voice who calls us to listen to him. J. Warner Wallace, known uh, well as a detective, a cold case detective, sometimes being featured in uh, 
television shows because of his work in uncovering mysteries. Writes about this term, person of interest. He says the term person of interest typically refers to someone who's been identified and is involved in a criminal investigation, but has not yet been arrested or formally charged with the crime. In criminal terms, he writes, it has no legal standing and can refer to either a potential suspect or someone who is cooperating with the investigation and may have some helpful information. In Wallace's case, when he encountered a pastor who invited him to consider Jesus as someone more than just a mere man, Jesus became a person of interest for him, and he began to investigate using the skills that he'd learned as a detective. And through that investigation, he was surprised at what God was doing in his life and transforming ultimately him from atheism to faith. And so as we encounter Jesus again today, on that mountain of transfiguration, Professor David Lewis will point out that, not unlike an investigator, that there are some pieces of evidence to examine the, as he calls it, the where, the people, the voice and the secret. The where is the mountain. A mountain is always significant when you encounter one in the Bible. It's where heaven and earth meet. Of course, the people here are also significant. We have Jesus. We have Elijah. Moses making one more cameo appearance in the scripture, right? And then we have Peter, James, and John, the three disciples who Jesus brought with them when he healed Jairus' daughter. So we have the where, the people. And then we have a voice, the voice of God the Father, who tells us that this is his son and to listen to him. And then finally we get the secret, not to tell yet, that this won't fully be revealed. This truth of who Jesus is won't fully be revealed until they get to the cross and later even the resurrection. And so we're going to examine these pieces of information and see how they reveal for you and me this person of interest. I hope that as we take just a few moments in this text that you'll be blown away as I am. As these eyewitnesses, as one scholar put it, uh, the apostles look back now on this occasion and see the fulfillment of biblical prophecy and see how in retrospect it all made sense in light of Jesus as the Messiah. And when we do that now, I think we'll be overwhelmed by the amount of truth that God packs in these nine verses. For example, if Jesus is God then of course that he becomes, as we see here in the Transfiguration, the bridge connecting the Old and New Testaments. And if Jesus is God, then of course there will be eyewitness accounts of amazing deeds. Like the disciples testified to and experienced. And if Jesus is God, then of course they'll also, like they were that day, 
be surprised. And so will we. For after all, He is God and we are not. So it only makes sense that on occasion we will be surprised or even, as I've shared with you in the past, disagree with God. It only gives us evidence that He is God and we are not. That even as difficult as it is, some days includes our prayer requests, not understanding why God doesn't answer the prayers like we thought He would or should. And if Jesus is God, then this passage, this epiphany moment of revealing Jesus will, of course, be packed with meaning. It reveals even some of the the central truths of uh, what we confess and believe and of our theology. For example, our understanding of law and gospel gets revealed. As Jesus ascends to this mountain, he is doing something new. We know that in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, where the Apostle Paul references this moment. He says, now if the ministry of death carved in letters of stone, the tablets on Mount Sinai, when came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? Jesus is doing something new. He is revealing the way that the law now points to the gospel. Or as scholar Stephen Paulson will put it, what once had the glory shining face of the law from Moses has now come to end. And now that, as we heard in Galatians, the law of Christ, the work of the Spirit is being revealed. Or as others have said, Moses' radiance was derivative. He received it from God, but Jesus, His light, His glory is essential. It comes from Him. So now Jesus reveals the law and gospel on this Mount Transfiguration. Jesus now fulfills the law and prophets with Moses representing the law and Elijah representing the work of all of the scripture and prophets that would follow. And as we learn in the Gospel of Luke, they were talking about Jesus' departure. The word literally there is exodus. And so we learn that a new exodus is coming. A new redemption plan through Christ our Lord. You see, to to read this text, I noticed at one point when I was studying uh, this text this week, I had tabs of different passages of Bible uh, uh, from the whole Word of God. And uh, let's see, I had Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Exodus, Hebrews, 2 Corinthians, 2 Peter, Micah, Deuteronomy, all opened at once at one point as this Jesus who bridges the Old and New Testament is being revealed on this mountain. The Trinity itself is is showing us there with, of course, Jesus and the cloud, which we know from the Scriptures whenever it is present as the the Spirit of God is present, the Holy Spirit. And then we hear the voice of the Father speaking. So when Jesus says to us in John chapter 8, verse 12, when He says these words, I am the light of the world. 
Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We as that voice on Mount Transfiguration said and told us to, we listen to him. Now, with this, in these verses ripe with meaning, it's no wonder Peter wanted to build uh, sometimes called a booth or a tabernacle or, uh, or literally in our English language, a tent. Because he knew that when the light of God was present, like at the Feast of Tabernacles or booths that was associated with light, that God was present. And so you had to have a tabernacle for the presence of God or a booth. So, of course, he wanted to build three booths. But we know from the Gospel of John that Jesus now tabernacles or dwells among us in flesh and blood. And so, here in just these few verses, we have the law and gospel. We have the fulfillment of God's word. We have the Trinity being revealed. We have uh, a hint at the new Exodus, a revelation, and uh, as one put it, we're being epiphanized here. And so now, as Jesus invites us in his own words as the light of the world, to no longer walk in darkness, but to follow him. And what remains are those famous words, Jesus only. Or as the reformers will say, solo Christus, Christ alone. And so today I invite you to investigate this Christ, this Jesus. But actually as we investigate him, as J. Warner Wallace would soon discover, actually Jesus is now inviting you to follow him. As Lent begins on Wednesday, it's an opportunity to repent, to review, and to be renewed by following the Christ. And when the Holy Spirit reveals His Word to us, the Word that tabernacled among us, it leads us by His power and not our own. We think we're the investigators of the world, and soon we discover that that Word is reading us and leading us to faith. As we heard this morning in Hebrews, but now in these last days, He has spoken to us through His Son. He is the radiance of the glory of God. By what? The power of His Word. Friends, a candle shines bright in the darkness. You can see it from far off. Jesus is shining in the darkness of this world, the radiant glory of God. And He says, I am am the light of the world. May this person of interest, Jesus, the light of the world, light your path this week, this Lent, overcoming darkness, for the darkness shall never overcome him, and unto him into eternity. And so yes, be amazed. Be amazed at even the miraculous works of God, but, but don't just get distracted by the shiny things. It's His Word that dwelt among us, that we hear the voice of God saying, Behold my Son. 
Yes, bones are being healed. Yes, there are eyewitnesses. Yes, there are amazing acts. The word will be, however, finally revealed in a place that surprised so many. The cross. So as we look carefully, let us also listen carefully to the person of interest. For we won't just look, but as God invites us in this text today, we will listen to Him. Amen.